What up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to a brand new episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and we just have one thing to cover and then just a lot of things to talk about as well. So today on this episode, we are covering AEW Grand Slam that happened yesterday, September 21st, 2022. I know it's been so long since I've talked about an AEW event, actually reviewed an AEW show because in the past it was really unbearable at times and I was just wondering where everything was happening and it seemed like AEW really wasn't trying to fix the flaws that I kept pointing out. But this one, this AEW Dynamite Grand Slam that happened in New York City in Arthur Ashe Stadium was actually a nice episode of AEW Dynamite. I know some of you are probably going to be shocked to hear that I use the word nice when describing AEW. But then again, I always wanted AEW to succeed. I always do. But when you constantly have fans that want to turn a blind eye to certain red flags, that's why AEW doesn't really improve, improve how they should. So that way they could be a true contender to being the alternative in professional wrestling. So let's quickly go over AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. This is the first episode that I remember in a long time that did not include CM Punk and the EVPs. And it proved that AEW can stand on their own two feet without it. However, if we really look at it from a bigger picture, they can stand on their own two feet because they already have the star power. Everyone loves throwing that phrase around, star power. They have the star power from ex-WWE wrestlers coming in and being the legs of AEW Dynamite. Now, I understand that the AEW pillars are mainly on Rampage. And right after Dynamite, they had a two-hour taping for AEW Rampage, which I thought it was really bad in business. If Tony Khan is going to continue perpetuating the tribalism that everyone says that needs to stop in the wrestling community, if he's going to go on interviews and say that New York City is the crown jewel of wrestling... Now, that is true to a certain degree. Maybe like five to 15 years ago, New York City was definitely the crown jewel in professional wrestling, especially for all the indie promotions that were out here. Ring of Honor always visiting. We also have like other small little promotions. But this was five like to 10 years ago, before the pandemic, before New York just became not heavily invested in wrestling. It's starting to come back. It's coming back slowly in New York City, but it wasn't as thriving as it was before. And just because AEW can sell out a stadium, one stadium in New York City, does not mean that New York City is a crown jewel of wrestling. Let me put it in this perspective. When you can sell out Madison Square Garden while also coming here on a month-to-month basis 
to go to the Manhattan Center or go to Laboom in Queens or go visit any other small places that will allow wrestling to happen. And you do that on a month to month basis to build up and sell out Madison Square Garden. Then you could say New York City is the crown jewel of professional wrestling. That is what wrestling promotions back in the day did for New York City. Every single month, there was some type of wrestling event. Maybe in one month, there were two different wrestling events running in that one month. But then you had to like travel from maybe Manhattan. If Ring of Honor was at the Manhattan Center, you'll go there for that event. And then you'll travel to Queens. You go to Laboom and you end up watching Evolve or some or some other promotion. So that's why I think having a AW Dark, Dark Revelation, Dynamite, and Rampage tapings all in one sitting, all in one stadium really hurts AEW. If you wanted to make it a spectacle where AEW is the new mecca wrestling promotion in New York City because WWE doesn't really come here as often, you know, he should have made it a very nice event where it's AW Dynamite on Wednesday live for the two hours. Then today, Thursday, have people go over to Laboom and Queens and watch the local talent that we have in New York City, which, by the way, I hope you guys don't forget about Private Party. Private Party, our hometown boys in New York City, they would have had a very wonderful time wrestling in Laboom because they wrestled there before. And they could have done Thursday where it's the local indie talent wrestling at Laboom over in Queens. And then Friday, you could go back to Arthur Ashe Stadium or probably get the Manhattan Center and have Rampage there live for two hours. The same way that Tony Khan runs his company and runs everybody in there and has everybody do multiple hats and how they feel exhausted is how fans in general feel exhausted sitting through so many hours of wrestling in one sitting. And then also it's not fair to the fans who are there at Arthur Ashe stadium, because after a certain time, all of the venues where you can get your beer, your drinks, your food closes at a certain time. And to go over that time limit because you want to tape a two hour rampage basically is not fair to the fans because they're there hungry, tired, and they're sitting there. They're not moving and they're not going to be as lively. And then when people on Twitter posts up little mini clips and all you see at the hard camera are the fans and they're not reacting how they should be reacting. You got to start rethinking your strategy here. You want lively fans in your events. So that way it can help energize the stories, the wrestlers, everything that goes with what being a wrestling company is supposed to be. So let's get into the show, AEW Dynamite Grand Slam. We open the show with Chris Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli for the Ring of Honor World Championship title match. And yes, with a little asterisk, referee Aubrey has become the first woman to ever referee a Ring of Honor match. Still don't understand why she overreacts in matches. You're there to call moves. It's not about you. It's about the wrestling and the wrestlers. 
sometimes referees do help to enhance stories. But if you're there jumping around 24-7 and doing really weird, wacky things, I need to concentrate on the wrestlers so I could tell my fans exactly what's happening and boost up the story. But if you're in the line of sight and I can see those weird-ass facial expressions or whatever you're doing, it's going to throw me completely off. And I'm not going to pay attention to the match to where I need to analyze it and talk about it. Referees are special and they don't get enough credit. I will say that. But there are ways to get over without being a tryhard to get over and get people to be like, oh, look at me. Less is more in professional wrestling. Also, have you noticed that whenever Jericho comes out, she referees Jericho's matches. She doesn't always referee Jade's matches. And I think that was because at one time when Aubrey really like got in there and pulled her away and Jade really gave her a talking to. And yeah, I just think that Aubrey needs to stop overreacting. But let's talk about this match of Chris Jericho versus Claudio Castagnoli. It was a good match. It was an interesting match. There wasn't anything grand about this match. It was interesting to see if Jericho were to win. And yes, spoiler alert, Jericho did win against Claudio Castagnoli by doing like a low blow, like a mule kick low blow to Claudio Castagnoli after the bat was put to the side by ref Aubrey and she didn't see the low blow. And we have a new Ring of Honor world champion, and that is Chris Jericho. Now, I have seen online on Twitter that people are upset with this decision, but let's look at it objectively. Can anybody out there in wrestling Twitter truthfully tell me via DMs or at me on Twitter at Marie underscore shadows? Or email me at squarecirclepodcast at outlook.com. Or leave me a voice message on anchor.fm forward slash squarecirclepodcast. Or leave a comment on marieshadows.substack.com. When I ask this question, what true impact did Claudio Castagnoli have as Ring of Honor world champion ever since becoming world champion and ever since we know that Tony Khan is renting out Ring of Honor. What impact has Claudio Castagnoli done other than having random title matches for that Ring of Honor world championship title? When Ring of Honor was alive and well back in the day, Everybody had a story with the Ring of Honor World Champion and that championship title. They really didn't have random matches where the champion was like, yeah, I'm going to fight you. I'm going to face you next. That is what AEW is doing with the Ring of Honor Championship titles. Having random matches, not really enough build to understand why they want to go for it. Sure, Chris Jericho wants to go for it because he wants to be eight-time world champion. Understandable. Sure, nice, short, sweet, but there has to be more than that. The Ring of Honor World Championship title is meant for 
the purest of wrestlers where, you know, it's like Babyface is getting over and Babyface is carrying the company and you have to be true to your word and be an upstanding wrestler to represent the Ring of Honor title and the name. However, the way that Chris Jericho won it by cheating, now there is this dark cloud over Ring of Honor because Ring of Honor has been tainted because of the cheating. Thank you to Ian Riccoboni for storytelling. That's also another thing I want to point out about AEW commentary. There's no storytelling coming from the AEW commentary desk. Excalibur does a wonderful job sometimes. I usually get on him whenever he says pescado for a simple body splash from the inside to the outside or a body press from the inside to the outside pescado means fish and if they're not flapping around like a fish don't call a simple plancha a pescado it's not the same thing that's the only thing that i get upset about excalibur for calling but other than that excalibur can weave in very nice story elements I just don't like the team of Excalibur, Taz, and Tony Schiavone because I don't feel that Taz and Tony Schiavone really add anything to the commentating desk unless, like, what we saw yesterday with MJF pushing down Tony and then when the camera cut to MJF, Tony is automatically like, can we get that ass off the screen? And I'm like, that's perfect. That's perfect there. That's very perfect to have that comment right there and then but for the most part to have them as a team and then to add a fourth member whenever William Regal goes down to commentate for his boys it doesn't help at all there's way too many voices there's way too many spots that they're missing to tell this story and I'm probably going to get into it with the other matches but I just want to bring that up that the AEW commentating team don't really tell stories however Chris Jericho is our new Ring of Honor world champion, and I really do think this is a good decision, only because Chris Jericho has a lot of weight to his name. Everybody knows Chris Jericho around the world, and this will probably get more eyes on Ring of Honor, probably more exposure for Ring of Honor, and maybe we may get a TV deal later on. Maybe. Hopefully, this is going to be a good run because... When Jericho was AEW champion, it was okay. When Jericho was doing his own thing with the inner circle and now the Appreciation Society, I'm just like, Jericho, I've seen enough of you. No disrespect, but I've seen enough of Jericho. But maybe this time, it'll be okay. I am very hopeful. All right. Our second match was the tag team match of the Acclaim versus Swerve in Our Glory, which is Swerve and Keith Lee. And this was very deserving. The Acclaimed, as much as I'm not a fan of them, I'm probably only a fan of Anthony Bowens, and that's about it. But I'm really not a fan of the Acclaim. I think doing the whole Scissor Me Daddy is very cringe, especially for grown men to do that shit. It's just very cringe. And by the way, I personally believe that two guys cannot scissor. That's not for them, but let me not go there. But yeah, I just don't really, I'm not a fan of the acclaim. However, their win on AEW Dynamite yesterday was very well-received, very well-deserved, and they should have really won the belts at the pay-per-view. 
But because they want to hear New York, doesn't really matter. New Yorkers would be like, yeah, awesome. And so they got that ovation. And it was a really good match between the two. I don't like the tag team of Swerve and Keith Lee because it feels very forced. And what other company in the world do you know that forces tag teams to be a tag team? It's WWE. It really felt forced where Swerve and Keith Lee just don't really mesh well together. And you can see that when the press conference happened at All Out. Swerve was in this character of that he has a ship on his shoulder. You can't tell him different. And then in other interviews, you'll hear that he reads everything. He reads everything online and on Twitter and has receipts. Instead of paying attention to Twitter, work on your wrestling game. Let me know why this is your house. I still don't understand how this is his house when he does that. Whenever he's like, whose house? And everyone says swerve. I don't get it. I don't understand how it is when I don't really know anything about the character or even try to find myself on the flip side to be like, all right, I can respect this, respect what he does and maybe become a fan. It's very different from spoiler alert. Page or Soraya showing up in AEW as a debut and whenever she says or screams out this is my house I believe it 100% so there's a difference in level and skill and wrestling and all of that and if Swerve takes the time to not be on Twitter 24-7 and work on his game especially storytelling to get me work on his game, especially storytelling, to get me emotionally involved in what he does, then it'll be better. But I just don't see it. And then Keith Lee, I just don't really gravitate towards him either. Like, those two are just not connecting with me. And that's okay. This is all of my opinion. If you get upset at my opinion, then that's on you. And I could totally understand why you'll get upset and I may get heat for this or I may not get heat for this. But at the end of the day, it's my opinion and you never know. Maybe in a six months time, I may change and be like, Swerve is good. Keith is good. So I am on the bandwagon of let me support them. But at the moment, I really do think that the acclaimed as a tag team is so over that even though I do not like them, I only like Anthony Bowens, that I do not generally like them, I can still respect the tag team. I can still respect the hustle and the grind that they do. Swerve in Our Glory was just put together because they were a team on the indies, so they want to capture that again in front of the AEW fans, and it just really wasn't working, especially during that press conference when... By the way, wrestling journalists, you're not supposed to ask questions about did you ever think about calling an audible during that match because of how the crowd popped? Now, it's one thing to try to phrase your question about did the former champs ever feel like they may have been one up by the acclaim? I probably could have phrased the question better, but you get the idea. You don't want to say questions like that because... That's very disrespectful to the former champs 
or to any champ. You don't ever want to be like, hey, do you think it was right to maybe have called an audible during the match just because your favorite tag team or your favorite wrestler didn't win? Like, how can you, like, say it with your chest next time instead of trying to use the insider wrestling terms for when wrestlers are planning their matches and planning what's going to happen? Like, next time, say it with your chest and be like, my favorite tag team lost. Did you ever think about calling this? But don't do that. I'm just using it as an example. Don't do that because that's very disrespectful. There's many different ways that as a wrestling journalist, you can ask appropriate questions to champions, especially when your favorite wrestler lost to them. Like a very simple question would have been like, while you were out there listening to the crowd, did any doubts come into your head? Because for the past six months, the crowd has been loving you. But when you're in that ring, does any of the cheers to your opponents messes with you? Something like that along those lines, right? Because you really want to get into the psychology behind certain matches, the psychology behind certain wrestlers when they hear the crowd go wild and when they start cheering for their opponents and you're like, you guys are supposed to love us. Remember, we're the baby faces. They're the heels. You guys are doing it wrong, you know. And professional wrestlers will answer you in the way of, like, you know, they can't really control the crowd. The crowd is going to react how they're going to react. And, you know, they had to make the best of it probably. Like, But you'll get a professional answer. But wrestling journalists, if you are a so-called wrestling journalist, please make sure that you ask appropriate questions. Keep it kayfabe and don't try to say it with your chest that your favorite wrestler and or tag team wrestlers lost. Be professional. It is called professional wrestling after all. Okay, again, the acclaim defeated Swerving Our Glory last night. Our third match is Pac versus Orange Cassidy for the AEW All-Atlantic Championship title again another title that was made it hasn't really been defended i do like that Pac is the all-atlantic champion and he's also one third of the trios champion as well however i do have to say that on commentary i think it was taz hopefully it was taz on commentary that said this if not i apologize but somebody on commentary said that orange cassidy is a legit threat to Pac and that championship title. No, he's not. I'm just going to say it right now. I do not understand Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy is not for me the same way that Dan Housen is not for me as a wrestler, as a character. Like, I just don't gravitate towards them. I just don't get it. I like more serious characters that are confident in what they do. Yes, Orange Cassidy is a great wrestler when he needs when he needs to be a wrestler. But for the most part, it's like if we really look at Orange Cassidy, how far can his character take him? Where obviously he's been in AW for a while and hasn't won a championship title yet. But he has all these matches, he has all these feuds, and I really don't remember most of them. But again, how much further can Orange Cassidy go with this gimmick? Because him 
and Dan Housen are capping their potential levels with these characters because I just don't know if I could take them seriously as maybe one day becoming AEW World Heavyweight Champion. But then again, not every wrestler can hold a world championship title, which that is a fact, but people could always try. And if you try, that's also good too. But for Orange Cassidy, if he would have won the All-Atlantic Championship title, what were they going to do? Orange Cassidy barely does anything on AEW that I remember. He hangs out with the best friends and the best friends aren't doing much either like what kind of impact will orange cassidy have if he won the all-atlantic championship title i am not sure what kind of impact he'll have so to say that orange cassidy is a legit threat to the championship title that Pac holds no he's not why he got a championship title match i have no idea but it was a good match nonetheless Pac be selling those ddts like he's going to die this man is a really good seller so, Pac defeated Orange Cassidy to retain the All-Atlantic Championship title. Now, who should Pac face next? I don't know, because AEW seems to have all these stars, and I really don't know who can match Pac's intensity and throw Pac off his game. You know, honestly, if anyone could throw Pac off his game, it would have been Orange Cassidy. But again, I just don't feel that he's a legit threat to a championship title in general. Our next match was the Fatal 4-Way for the Women's Interim AEW World's Championship title match. I know I fucked that up. It's the AEW Women's World Championship match, the Interim Championship match. We are waiting for Thunder Rosa to come back healthy. Tony Storm is our Interim World Champion for women. And we have Serena D, Britt Baker, and Athena. We got to talk about something here about women's wrestling for a little bit because I'm starting to notice that obviously in AEW, we know that AEW has a booking problem, a utilization problem with the women's division. Just because you have top tier names come into a promotion, it does not mean the promotion automatically gets star power. We never hear this debate when it comes to women signing with Impact Wrestling. I've never seen a post from someone being like, oh, they just got Deanna Perrazzo, and that's like star power. Woohoo! Impact is going to get star power. I hear it all the time with AEW. When women sign on to AEW and become all elite, they're like, oh my God, star power. Yes, it's going to be a game changer. Nothing has fucking happened ever since those game changers signed on. And now that we have Soraya or Paige in the mix, please, someone tell me how that is star power when she hasn't been able to wrestle ever since that scary injury at the house show from Sasha Banks. We haven't seen any videos of her trying to get back into the ring, going to the doctor to be like, hey, you know, let's check out this neck. You know, bringing us along for a recovery journey. So that way, if she does ever make a debut, which she did yesterday, but I'm saying in general, a debut anywhere, you know that she's healthy. You know that she brought you along for the journey, but she hasn't done that. She has been on Twitch playing Dead by Daylight with other people, and she has been supporting her man and his music. 
And, you know, that's all that I know. There's nothing really different about it. She's definitely relaxing, making sure that her neck is fine and stuff. But again, she hasn't wrestled ever since getting injured. So to use the phrase star power does not make AEW have a better women's division because their women right now don't really train. Their women right now want to do cool things to get over because the men are obviously more over. But let's talk about women's wrestling for a moment. And I've noticed this when I went to the indie show on Saturday that was Titan Championship Wrestling and Goddesses of War. Now, you guys know me. I have to preface this by saying that I want women's wrestling to succeed. I want women's wrestling to really succeed and be its own thing. And it can be its own thing. What I really want to talk about are two things. Cosplaying for your gear and character development. And it's probably something else too, but I don't know what to categorize it as. But let's talk about cosplaying for a second. I enjoy when women get to cosplay and they get to be like, yeah, I watch anime. You know, this is my favorite anime. This is my favorite, like, nerdy thing. Like, it's cool to see other women be like, this is what I'm most passionate about. I love this fandom, whatever it is, right? And they incorporate that into their wrestling gear, maybe persona, maybe not. But I do like that because it does show that, being into that is fun and it's awesome and like it can help people be more confident have more self-esteem like there's a lot of benefits for it and to see other people do that that's awesome too it takes a lot of effort to like really be in those costumes and like do what you got to do however when it comes to wrestling especially for like athena we all know that athena is like super nerdy which is awesome she can like hang with the guys she can play video games she does D. she's always on like up, up, down, down with Xavier Woods, right? However, ever since she came to AEW to come out in these like cosplay sort of-esque props, how does that help her character development? We call her Athena. Athena's known as the Greek goddess. And if you're going to be portraying a Greek goddess in professional wrestling as a character, as a name you should probably resemble something of that name. And I know people might get on me for what, and I know people might get on me for what I'm about to say next, but this all goes into, if you're going to pick a particular name like that or anything in particular, you have to really look the part. You have to make people believe that you are this character that you're playing. If not, it's not going to work. So when we think of Athena, the Greek goddess, you're going to have to have at least a body like a Greek goddess. So when we think about in wrestling, Mandy Rose, the way that she works on her body, she could definitely pass off if she wanted to be named Athena. The same thing with Alexa Bliss. When she was nicknamed the goddess, she definitely looked like a goddess. And I'm not saying that Ember Moon doesn't look hot or anything or nice she really does she's super pretty she's super cute she's really 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 cute however it's just that the name that you pick in wrestling should somewhat reflect your personality to make people believe that you are this person 
And maybe she should have came into AEW with a different name and not the name Athena. And, you know, maybe that would also give her a new identity, a new layer in her career of her being really good. Now, when she comes out in cosplay, it's great. It's cool. But what does that really do for your character? What does that really do to add layers to your character? It really doesn't do anything. You come out on stage, you have the wings. Awesome. Cool. Oh, look, wings. And then you take them off and then nothing really happens. No other wrestler questions you during promos and be like, oh, you're going to come with wings again and fly away because you know you can't defeat me in a one-on-one match. Like, those props that she brings out does not really get used in promos by her heel feud wrestlers. I phrased that wrong, but you get it. And then yesterday when she came out in a Cubone-esque prop, thank you Excalibur for letting us know that was Cubone because I did not know or even think to put two and two together. What did that do? What kind of story are you telling us when you're getting into this fatal four-way women's match? What kind of story is that prop really doing? It's not doing anything. It's just there because you have a nerdy side, which is awesome, but that nerdy side doesn't progress your story and have people be like, yeah, I'm a fan of Athena because she incorporates pokemon and i love pokemon and i love cubone like imagine if like she really did incorporate like an attack from cubone in the match then it makes sense and then you know during a promo she could have explained to the fans that sometimes i channel my fandom into my wrestling and my art because it is an extension of me and like it's just supposed to push your story, and what you're trying to get out there. You know, again, it's not bad to do all of these things, but they have to have a purpose. They have to be logical. They have to be part of who you are. And the same thing goes for Selena Vega. Whenever she comes out in anime clothing and stuff like that, and it's like, I get it. You're sexy in it. You're awesome. This is what you love. But if you're not trying to incorporate that into your storytelling ability, into your promos, and not having your opponents sort of push back on the idea of that you're in love with this fandom and you want people to know about it. Like, you're supposed to be making stories. And yes, in professional wrestling, you can dress up and be whoever you want. But make sure that you believe it enough to where the fans believe it. And that's how you grow your stock that's how you get over that's how you sell those tickets that's how you sell that merch if you believe every single word that you say about your character your story your gear the fans will return to you tenfold so for example when i was interviewing jared diaz bodega boy he explained that his whole entire gear represents new york city represents the new york yankees and in every single other state that has a baseball team they all hate us they all hate the new york yankees so why not play off that and that's why he wears his gear the way he does and then also to have the arizona's in like every single one of his matches because he just loves that drink and that's more part of being a new yorker 
So if you want to be an anime character every single time, make sure that you have a purpose for why you want to be the anime character and then you know, go wrestle to your heart's content in that anime sort of gear, way of thinking and stuff like that. It's the little things that count in professional wrestling, the details that count in professional wrestling that get people over, that get the fans invested in one person versus the other. The other point about women's wrestling that I want to make is that women's wrestling is super unique. It's way more unique than men's wrestling. Hear me out. I have nothing against men's wrestling, but just hear me out on the whole timeline of how women's wrestling became to be. And I'm talking about women's wrestling development in the United States and not anywhere else in the world. Because anywhere else in the world is a totally different standard that I wish that will be applied here. But that's neither here nor there. So in women's wrestling... Of course, we had women's wrestlers back in the day, all the way back in the day. They wrestled here and there, and they really had some good matches for that time. And then just having women be involved in wrestling during the WWF era, it was basically like valets and managers. Not everyone wrestled, and when they did wrestle, it was the very slappy slap, very woman-like matches where it's not as serious as the men and most of the time we were definitely treated to a lot of bra and panties matches and just a lot of ridiculous shit that happened in the past now fast forward the women wrestlers are definitely being taken seriously depending on who you talk to because some people are still like oh they're bathroom breaks and it's like no they're not bathroom breaks Women's wrestling today has definitely evolved into something awesome, and I just wanted to improve. So here is a suggestion that I think that can work. When it comes to on the indies, because in WWE, it's already formatted a specific way for what the women's wrestling is supposed to look like, feel like, and how it's supposed to be portrayed on TV. But if you're still in the indies, this might help you out to whoever listens to this podcast. So when you have a woman's match, you can have it to be anything you want. You can take aspects from the Divas era. You could take aspects from when Mula and Mae Young were running the scene back in the day with those girls. You can basically have your match the way that Alundra Blaze would have her match. There's so much inspiration for you guys to draw from, and it doesn't always have to be the same old collar and elbow chain wrestling match between two women. Guys, you can make your matches however you want for the story that you're trying to tell. You don't have to follow the men and how they do their beginning matchup scenarios with the headlock and the wrist lock and the drop down, the chain wrestling. You guys don't have to do that during 90% of your matches from what I see on the indies. I'm going to give you an example now, and I'm probably going to talk about it later in the vlog that I'm supposed to be finishing. So when I was at Titan this past Saturday, and this is not a knock to the women that was wrestling, but I really think that it hurt the match. Even though the match came back alive towards the end, 
it really hurt the match. So just listen to this one critique and I'm going to break it down for you guys. So we had two women's wrestlers. We had Cosmic who comes out. She has green streaks in her hair. That's how like I remember her. So she comes out to a loud reception of the fans just booing her and she's playing to the crowd and she's really like going back at them the same way that the fans were booing her and stuff like that and they really didn't want to see her. Obviously, you know she's the heel. Her opponent comes out, which is Adina Steele, and she is the hometown hero in New Jersey and Tiny Championship Wrestling and Goddesses of War. Like, the fans really enjoyed that she came out. They were cheering her, and rightfully so. She reacted the way that baby faces will react. So because there was that loud reception during both of their entrances, they start off with chain wrestling. A simple lockup into chain wrestling. Now, I'm not saying that ladies can't do chain wrestling like you guys can. Like, if anybody knows me and been listening to my podcast for a while, I always say that technical wrestling gets me. Like, I love technical wrestling so I could break it down. If you do flips with your technical wrestling, you can win me over, but it has to be logical. Like, it has to make sense. You can't just do flips and think I'm going to be like, woohoo. But what I'm trying to say is that as soon as they did the lockup, as soon as they slowed down the match to do hold for hold for hold, the crowd got quiet. And you never want the crowd to get quiet because then that means that all that momentum that they were giving you for your story, you're going to have to redo it all again. You're going to have to make them go on this ride. And while, yes, you're supposed to make fans go on this ride with you when you are in a match but if you already have them in the palm of your hand where Adina is getting cheered where Cosmic is getting booed and Cosmic is reacting to the boos of the fans and yelling at them and doing what he was supposed to do. If you have them at the palm of your hands during your entrances, do not let that energy die. Sure, I want to see women do grappling and technical stuff. I love that shit. But sometimes you have to go with the fans and go with the flow and change up on the spot because... While the match was good, it started off slow because of the chain wrestling. And sometimes in general, this is going to be a general statement. Women feel like they have to be as equal to the men and get that nod from the men. Because wrestling, if you look at it, is very technical. It's very like who could one up who, who can tap out first, especially when you do hold for hold for hold. But I'm trying to show that. Not every single woman's match needs to start off slow with a chain wrestling in the beginning. If you're coming off of a very loud reaction during your entrances, like the way that these ladies had, just go with it. Start kicking each other. Start punching each other. Make sure to keep that energy going because the moment that you let it rest... It's going to be hard to build the excitement again. But luckily, halfway through the match, towards the ending, they built that excitement again. 
and the crowd came alive. But for that first part of the chain wrestling, it was just dead. And I was like, man, you could have told a different story. You guys could have just did some punches, you know, call some audibles in the ring and be like, yeah, we got to do some punches. And then like after that, like in the middle, maybe you could have did some chain wrestling to sort of like quiet down the speed the energy just to conserve it a little bit more and then bring it up towards the end and go towards the finish it's like wrestlers you are the composers of your match if you ever watch opera and you have the composer there controlling everybody you guys are that composer to your matches you control the crowd you control how they react to you if they are yelling obscenities at you because you're the heel make sure you turn around and make sure you yell right back at them or you tell them to shut up you do heel things you don't just go towards okay we have a match we have to remember our spots we have to do our spots and we will go along with the crowd when we can when you remember to listen to them no women's wrestling matches are so unique because they can start however they want to. However, the main thing is that if the crowd is already hot during your entrances, keep that momentum. If they are not as excited to see you, that's fine. You can probably start with chain wrestling. No one's really going to care until like the middle and the end. But you have to know your opponent. You have to know the story. You have to talk things out to where it's logical and just plan everything. And then sometimes you could throw all that plan out the window and listen to the crowd and go from there. The best matches that people remember is the ones that have the most emotion in those matches and the ones that really look good. You could botch maybe a hundred times where people would be like, hey, I remember it because of this one moment, this one emotional moment that resonated with me. And that's why that person considers it a good match. While on the flip side, their friend is like, that match had 100 botches. I don't know what you're talking about. You have to make a connection with the fans to keep them going. So it's not a knock to the two ladies. They had a very wonderful technical match, which I love. But I just felt that it was, I felt that it worked against them to start out very slow, methodical chain wrestling when the fans in attendance were a lot of kids, teenagers, and adults. And the kids and teenagers were very loud and boisterous and very demanding. And so when you start off with chain wrestling, nobody wants to really see that, especially when children and teenagers have a lot of energy. If they're giving you that energy, make sure that you return it. And then in the middle, you could do chain wrestling. And then at the end, you could take it home however you want to. So as a little tidbit, you can have your match however you want to have your match. It does not have to follow what the men are doing. And you don't always need that nod from the men wrestlers because... If you went through the same grueling grind and training as the men and you take it as seriously as the men, I promise you that nine out of 10 already respect the hell out of you. And they give you way more respect than like anybody else. So there's no need to try to prove yourself to be better than the men 
or just better. You could prove it to yourself about being the best women's wrestler out there. That's totally fine. But the moment that you stop worrying about what others think, the better wrestler you'll become. Because obviously you're doing this for yourself. It's always good to get that nod from your coworkers, your colleagues, and everything like that. It's always good. But you're doing this for you. You enjoy it. You make it your own. You make your own legacy. You make your own story. Because sometimes, in my experience, when you hang around the wrong type of people in wrestling, they don't necessarily help you to your full potential because you're getting bigger than them. So I would just say that maybe this will help. Maybe not. I don't know. But I'm going to leave it out there because, again, it's my opinion, it's my observation. And that is how I would book women's wrestling matches by telling them, yeah, you go out there, you be the best wrestler that you could be for the night but also pay attention to the crowd the crowd is the most important thing because when they get treated good they'll come back next month and they'll start cheering you and then they'll start buying your merch they'll start supporting you so that was my take on that match and how to improve it and just women's wrestling in general because I really want women's wrestling to be whatever it wants to be because it's in a unique category that's not men's wrestling I've watched men's wrestling for years. I've also watched women's wrestling as well. But women's wrestling as it stands is very unique and has a unique set of legs. And it's definitely in good hands. Okay, it's in good hands. So going back to that Fatal 4-Way women's match, Athena also broke Britt Baker's face because Athena thought she can do that double power throw the same way that AJ Francis from Hit Road did the same thing. But it's like, Athena, you're also short. You know, you're probably short like me because I'm short. And picking up two grown women who are like six feet tall does not work. And as we saw, Britt Baker, again, broke her nose. It was okay to attempt it, but you can't really do that with like size difference. It looks mad weird. And that's how people get hurt. Other than that, Tony Storm picks up the victory and she retains the interim AEW Women's World Championship. And now we come to the main event of AEW Dynamite Grand Slam, which was John Moxley versus Brian Danielson for the AEW World Championship title. For those that do not know, during the All Out pay-per-view, we had the media scrum and CM Punk went off the rails and ranted and a backstage altercation happened. Depending on who you believe, don't believe what you hear or read until the actual people come forward and say what the truth is. Because wrestling journalists get like third hand sources and news and just has one side and will push a one side narrative rather than being objective about what happened. So, again, all drama. Anyway. CM Punk is suspended and was stripped of the AEW World Championship title. So were the EVPs of The Elite and Kenny Omega. They were stripped as well and also suspended. So we had a mini tournament. Our finals came to John Moxie versus Brian Danielson. Two members from the Blackpool Combat Club, if I can remember the actual name. I did not want this. I really didn't. 
like why does john moxie have to be in the forefront of aew and why does brian danson like have to be there too like it's just i want more aew wrestlers to get a spotlight than ex wwe guys and yes people might get on me and say that john moxie is not really ex wwe well yes he is just because he goes around does death matches for gcw every single chance he gets is not like anything special he's not a gcw guy he's just there because of his name and he has friends and i think he's still champion right he's still gcw champion i can't keep up with this i really can't so during this match on commentary again they said that these two guys are two master chess players excuse me that's wrong john moxie is not a chess player by any means Brian Danielson, on the other hand, is a chess master when it comes to technical wrestling and wrestling in general. John Moxley is not. Like, let's stop fooling ourselves with the things that people say on commentary. Like, it's not, no. Tell us stories. Let us know how Brian Danielson is a chess master player. And let us know how John Moxley is a chess master player. Both of them aren't just one, and that's Brian Danielson. He is the true chess master when it comes to technical wrestling. John Moxley is more of a brawler, and he showcases that he can do technical wrestling. But then when he does, he doesn't really follow through. It's not really there throughout the whole entire match. But he makes you believe with those elbows that he does that he's a technical person. He makes you believe that he's a technical person when he pulls on the bully choke or the bulldog choke and submits people. And just because he submits people, he's a technical person. No, he's not. Brian Danielson can tie you up in multiple ways. And he is definitely a way better chess player than John Moxley. However, I did not want both of these in the main event. And I'll just say it right now that John Moxley defeated Brian Danielson to become the first ever three-time AEW champion. Why couldn't they give it to Brian Danielson, even though I didn't want that pick either? So that way John Moxley can go on his vacation. But then again, NJF just came back and won the casino battle royale. So he has that chip to cash in. And I was really hoping he would have cashed it in last night at AEW Grand Slam in Queens and become the AEW champion because an AEW original should be a champion and not an ex-WWE wrestler or a GCW wrestler or a deathmatch wrestler or a New Japan wrestler that has more obligations than being the actual face of AEW. Sure, he's the face right now because he's champion, but does he really need to overextend and wrestle in New Japan Pro Wrestling, wrestle in GCW, and doesn't really get the ratings up because you're supposed to bring those people over back with you to AEW, and the only person that has made the ratings go up ever since CM Punk has been suspended is MJF. John Moxley contributes to it, but he doesn't contribute as much as people may think, if they do think about it. But, like, I just don't like the idea that John Moxley is three-time AEW world champion. I really don't. He just got there. Everyone else has been there since 2019. And it just feels like there's more story with the other ones that don't get enough spotlight. 
and don't really break out. But then again, this is Tony Khan just playing with toys rather than looking at it from a business and trying to help your brand grow with the AEW day ones that you signed. So, yeah, I would have loved if MJF would have cashed in and became the AEW world champion. There is one thing we did not talk about, and that is the promo that Wheeler Yuta had against MJF. MJF came out to interrupt him. And I really do hate when AEW does this. AEW needs to stop having their heels come out and interrupt the baby faces. How are we supposed to love the baby faces and cheer them on and get them over if the heels keep doing things that we remember? We remember what the heels do most other than what the baby faces do. And that's really bad. You're burying the baby faces. This is a perfect example of how you buried Wheelie Yuta by having MJF go out there. MJF, when it comes to his promo skills, he's above everyone else in AEW, unless you put him against like Christian or like somebody that's a veteran. But MJF's promo skills are way better than Wheelie Yuta's. And then Wheelie Yuta coming out talking about his fiance and like all this shit. Why do you have to do that? You as a babyface are not supposed to be talking about that. You as a babyface should have focused on that one line that you said that really had an impact. And said that, well, you decided to leave the company because you wanted to be a greedy bastard while I was here working my ass off. Wheeler Yuta could have said that as a babyface and try to get himself over and try to get the crowd to be like, yeah, Wheeler Yuta is a pillar of AEW now. I'm just making that up. I'm not really sure if I should include that. But, you know, the idea of that Wheeler Yuta is actually carrying AEW on his back while MJF wanted to be greedy and asked for more money, and that's how he came back, because through greed. You use things against the heel to get yourself over, so that way you could be the babyface, and people can cheer you and be like, yeah, Wheelie Yuta is right. MJF only came back from the money. Boo, MJF. Like, as much as Tony Khan loves to stir the pot, continue with tribalism, and do supposed wrestling, he doesn't understand storytelling one-on-one. Like, he really doesn't. In this whole entire podcast, I came up with, like, story elements of simple things that wrestlers can do to get themselves over. And, yeah, after hearing Wheeler Yuta speak on the mic, it's like, bro, don't do that again unless, like, we teach you how. And we sort of push you in the right direction to make better promos. Because if you're going to go against MJF, you have to be better than him. But. We all know that everyone in AEW is not better than him. We all know that in AEW, MJF is better than everybody, and everyone knows it. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, please make sure to follow me at Marie underscore Shadows over on Twitter. Make sure to sign up for the newsletter at marieshadows.substack.com. Make sure to follow my new platform called Utron. Utron is a hybrid of Patreon and YouTube put together. You can follow me over there at utron.com forward slash C forward slash Marie Shadows. Make sure to follow me at anchor.fm forward slash square circle podcast so you never miss a new episode, whether that is in audio format or video format. And last but not least, make sure to follow me on my Twitch channel, twitch.tv forward slash Marie underscore shadows. 
Again, if you enjoyed this episode, thank you for listening. Thank you for telling a friend. Thank you for sharing this. And if you have any opinions, as always, you know where to find me. I'm not that hard to find. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you have been listening to an episode of the Square Circle Podcast. I am your host, Marie Shadows, and I'll see you guys on the next one.